This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. The CRTC says it's time for the big players to share. Bell, Rogers, TELUS, and in Saskatchewan, SaskTel all have to sell wholesale access to their already established wireless networks with the intent of creating more competition for Canadians who pay some of the highest cell phone prices in the world. Rates have been going down, but they need to go down more. But today's decision doesn't guarantee that is going to happen. Who can buy access is limited to regional carriers that already have spectrum and networks of their own. Last week was a busy one in the wireless world in Canada. Just as people were debating the proposed Roger Shaw merger, the CRTC released its long-awaited decision involving the possibility of mandated MVNOs, or mobile virtual network operators. While the CRTC notably concluded that Canadian wireless pricing is high relative to other countries and attributed that to insufficient competition, it was ultimately unwilling to fully embrace a broad-based mandated MVNO model. To help break down the decision and these other recent developments, I'm joined this week on the podcast by Dwayne Winsek and Ben Klass. Dwayne is a professor at the School of Journalism and Communication at Carleton University and the director of the Canadian Media Concentration Research Project. Ben is a PhD candidate at Carleton, senior research associate at the Canadian Media Concentration Research Project, and a board member at the Internet Society Canada chapter. They both joined the podcast in a personal capacity, representing only their own views. Dwayne and Ben, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Michael. Thank you for having us. Likewise. Yeah, no, it's great to have you both in what is a an exceptionally busy time in Canadian wireless. Uh, as you know, we booked this podcast initially to talk about the, the Roger Shaw merger, but as we recorded it, the CRTC less than 24 hours ago released its much anticipated wireless decision involving MVNOs. I'm hoping that we can explore both the CRTC decision as well as the, the merger, but I thought we should try to first set the stage with some discussion about what the data tells us about the Canadian wireless market. And I know the CRTC had some things to say about that as well. Uh, both of you have been amongst the most active in Canada on this issue through the Canadian Media Concentration Project, which puts out regular reports on the data. You, of course, appeared before this. We appeared before the CRTC together uh, on the merger issue. Uh, so you've been a, as active as anyone, I think, in trying to inject as much actual data into the policy discussion as possible. Uh, so why don't we start there? Can, can you tell me a bit about what the data tells us about how Canada ranks as a market relative to others. Are we a small player? Or are we a large player? And then from a consumer perspective, what does the data tell us about the pricing in Canada for wireless services relative to other countries? Well, I'll take the uh, the big market uh, question. I mean, I gathered up some data in re- relation to the uh, Roger Shaw deal. And you know, it's it's clear Canada is not a small market. It is the eighth largest mobile wireless market uh, in the world at uh, twenty nine billion dollars. I mean, we're only outstripped by big countries like the United States, China, Japan, uh, and a few others. So, you know, we have a very big market. It's a very lucrative one, and I think it's interesting that the CRTC also uh, observes that yesterday uh, in its decision too. 
Okay. So we're, we're, you know, there's sometimes we like to think of ourselves as being a small player, but when you look at it on a global basis, we're, as you say, eighth, we're a top 10 country in terms of with the market size. Ben, can you tell us a bit about the the pricing that I think a lot of people have, have strong views about? What does the data tell us? Yeah. So pricing is something that I've been looking at closely for a number of years, uh, specifically in the mobile market. And uh, there's one clear signal that virtually all of the research on this topic points to. Canada has, if not the highest amongst the highest prices uh, of comparable countries uh, around the world for its mobile services. There are a number of different ways to measure this, but whether you're talking about the monthly price cost of service or the cost of a gigabyte, virtually all of the research points to uh, a real significant pricing problem in Canada. And interestingly, uh, there has been one study published in recent years uh, by a consulting firm called Nira on behalf of TELUS that attempted to bring a different perspective to the field. Uh, but in yesterday's CRTC decision, uh, that study was pointed out as uh, actually having a selection bias as uh, unfairly representing the prices as lower than they are. And thus, in my mind, removing all doubt that the authoritative sources of data all point in the same direction. Okay. So we had the CRTC literally call out one of the large telecom provider studies. That's the study. The, the Nero work is is one that I, I've seen pointed to many times by uh, that company and those that have been supportive of that industry. The CRTC called it out as simply something that they couldn't rely upon. Yeah, I think what's also interesting too is that the same author of that study was hired by uh, Telus to do what I characterize as a hit job on one of the uh, reliable and really good quality independent research uh, consultancies, uh, Rewheel. And, um, you know, they've tried to drag Rewheel uh, through the mud as Rewheel has gained traction in Canada with Competition Bureau subscribing to its services and uh, wheeling out its reports in regulatory proceedings. Ben and I have uh, wheeled this Rewheel's uh, research out for years. And uh, recently, uh, the same author of the, the NERA study that the CRTC decision yesterday calls out he was hired by Telus and got a bunch of signatories, you know, from the kind of the who's who of the hired guns for the industry to sign on that, you know, tried to drag uh, Rewill through the mud. So it was really nice to see yesterday a very, very clear statement in the decision that, uh, yeah, this uh, this particular author and NERA uh, studies itself was fundamentally flawed and, you know, basically unusable uh, for the purposes uh, at hand. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and in fact, uh, I'm familiar with Rewheel. In fact, listeners of the podcast may be as well as uh, we had uh, Antonius, who, who one of the leaders of that uh, organization on the podcast some time ago to talk about uh, what his data had been showing. So, so we've got sort of strong, strong data that that sort of supports precisely what I think many Canadians have, have long feared and been concerned about with respect to high prices. But what does the data tell us about the impact of that high pricing is, you know, for example, on things like adoption rates in Canada or, or on data usage in Canada? So as far as adoption rates go, um, I've been looking at this for a long time. Uh, I start. I wrote a dissertation in 2015 that looked at the history of the mobile market in Canada and adoption. I think you know has been a real problem in Canada. Uh, we consistently rank right at the very bottom amongst OECD countries, comparable uh, industrialized economies. Um, you know, this is something that has persisted through the era of feature phones and uh, has continued now into smartphone adoption. In particular, what you see is that. 
while people earning amongst the highest levels of income are adopting mobile services universally, people who are earning less than about uh, 60K a year are really struggling to afford the service. And I think Dwayne probably has a lot to say about how the prices are impacting people's use of those services, those who can afford service in the first place. Yeah, Dwayne, I'd love if you could could jump in on that. I know even from the perspective of my own family, uh, we're on a share everything and with multiple uh, kids in the house. And for years, the, as you head towards the end of the month, you start paying close attention to the amount of data usage and start at times asking people to cut back given the pricing. Uh, what is What does your research show about usage in Canada? Yeah, well, um, the adoption issue that Ben uh, points to is absolutely critical. But then when you start to you know, realize that, yeah, the high price of data, these really uh, uh, constrained data allowances that the companies have been offering for years, uh, even though they're now slightly, uh, you know, increasing, these are a real constraint on how people use their mobile phones and how they use uh, the mobile internet. And so right now, Canada, you know, Canadians on average are using about just under three uh, gigabytes of data uh, per month. Um, and this is growing uh, quickly. Uh, but when you look at uh, Canadians' uh, use of mobile data relative to the OECD average, it's about half. And then when you look at the U.S., we're at about a third of the U.S. And I mean, I was looking at some FCC study or reports the other day. And basically, you know, we're at today where Americans were in 2015, 2016. And so this whole idea that, you know, data is being rationed out uh, like this, uh, and that somehow Canadians are using too much internets, I think it's just ludicrous. And that somebody like your yourself, Michael, and your family would have to be looking over your shoulder to see if you and the kids are using too much internets. I mean, this is just crazy. This is, uh, yeah, this is crazy town. Yeah. So Canada's got high prices, lower adoption, and lower usage. It's remarkable to hear that we're about a half decade behind where the United States is in terms of usage. You know, we've all often seen attempts to explain some of this away by references to Canada's geography or to network quality. What do you see as the, the culprit? Why are those prices so high? Referring back to that study that uh, that we discussed, the DuPont study, you know, one of the things that they tried to do in that study was to correct for the um, you know general prevailing wage levels, the cost of living. Uh, I've even seen studies that uh, have tried to correct for the amount of snowfall per year when calculating mobile prices. Um, in this decision that we got from the CRTC yesterday, um, they dismissed that. You know, and I think that this is a real validation of the concerns that a lot of us have had for a long time. It's uh, you know comes several years after the Competition Bureau uh, came to a similar conclusion when assessing the takeover of MTS in Manitoba by Bell. And it's the primary culprit behind the high prices in Canada is a lack of competition. We're not talking about problems associated with building in a big country. We're not talking about having to buy extra parkas for your, parkas for your workers. We're talking about uh, a market that's controlled by companies who have the ability and incentive to raise prices and take advantage of that when they get the chance. Okay, Dwayne, you have, you have anything to add? I mean, it comes down to competition and it is... Uh... Quite remarkable. I did see that that reference from the CRTC, where having now seen all of this data from really all sides or all proponents on this, coming to the conclusion that yes, high prices are high, and the culprit here is competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it's it's quite interesting. And uh, Ben and I talked about this a little bit last night. You know, you read through the decision, 
And, you know, it's like box after box is just checked in terms of, you know, what the problems are. And concentration is a taproot uh, of, of the problems uh, that we're experiencing. And I think, you know, one of the things about the decision that I really like is that everything uh, that we and others have been saying for close to a decade now, uh, the staff analysis in the, in the report basically confirms. All right. So it's really, really nice. Uh, to see that. So it seems to me that we've got this situation where the staff uh, at the CRTC this time are doing their job. They're doing it well, but there's a split between the staff and the management. Of course, this is conjecture on my part here, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, these two weird solitudes and it's almost like the competition bureaus uh, uh, own kind of process back with the Bell MTS decision in 2017. Competition Bureau staff came out with the, uh, a report to the commissioners that clearly advised against approving the deal for a variety of reasons about, you know, adoption levels, MTS being a good competitive check and so on and so forth. The commissioners went ahead and blessed the deal. And so here we have yesterday, the CRTC staff, you know, really just, you know, great analysis uh, throughout the report, everything about concentration, high prices, investment just being, you know, it's mediocre in this country. It's not bad, but it's not exceptionally uh, good. Uh, network quality, not explaining things, you know, the whole nine yards. And then we get this, you know, the, the crazy remedy uh, that management decides to come up with. It's just, it's, it's a very strange uh, situation. I was just gonna say, sort of taking what Dwayne's just said home, um, the obvious culprit for the high prices is, uh, I think, as everybody knows, it has been confirmed by this decision from the CRTC, is a lack of competition. But we also, I think, have to um, lay some of the blame on decision makers because it's not as if this is public decision makers and regulators. It's not as if this is a problem that's just appeared out of nowhere. For years, uh, this this is a, this is something that has um, been looked at and addressed, and the solutions that have been arrived at have been insufficient. So I think, uh, you know, this the fact that this is a problem that has been uh, ongoing for so long in the country really squarely lays the blame on regulators who continue to come out with half measures and hesitate to take the necessary action that's needed to, to resolve the issue. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that hesitation, certainly in, in the past. You know, the, this whole proceeding, if you look over the years, there's been times where almost the entire record and analysis from the CRTC seems to point in one direction and then ultimately um, they get cold feet or stop short of actually addressing that issue. So, you know, that, that in some ways I think provides us with a good segue into those decisions. We see the competition concerns and and there's blame to be laid all over the place, decision makers and the regulator, for why we find ourselves in that space. Uh, I, I've, I've addressed MVNO issues on a number of podcasts in the past. Uh, Elliot Noss from from Ting, Andy Kaplan Mirth from Tech Savvy, both uh, have come on the podcast. But uh, for those that are new to the issue, I'd appreciate it. Ben or Dwayne, what if you can provide a bit of an explainer on what was at issue in this case? Mm-hmm. I'll let Ben uh, take that one because he was directly involved uh, in this one, much more than I was. So, yeah. So. Um... Myself and uh, together with Dwayne, we've actually, you know, Dwayne is being modest. We've been involved uh, as, you know, independent scholars and working together with coalitions of public interest groups in wireless files before the CRTC and before the Competition Bureau for about 10 years together now. Um, Working closely with data that Dwayne collects and also with data that I collect uh, about the state of the market. 
And uh, essentially what we have here is a market that's controlled by three dominant providers across the country with a handful of others uh, who have a regional presence. Government policy has attempted to address um, the stranglehold that Bell Rogers and TELUS have in this market since 2008, and their chosen method of doing it has been to bring about a new competitor that owns its own facilities across the country. This type of policy, while it's slowly produced some results, uh, most notably in Quebec, where a strong regional incumbent has been able to gain some ground, um, has also faced substantial setbacks, for instance, with uh, the sale of MTS in 2017, but also notably with the failure of a slew of the smaller entrants that had been hoped to bring this type of competition from 2008. Mobilicity was eventually bought by Rogers after a protracted period in creditor protection, as well as Public Mobile, which was a discount brand ultimately bought and folded into TELUS. So we have a government policy that's made small gains, but is essentially set to be on the chopping block with this Rogers-Shaw merger that we're expecting uh, to be uh, reviewed and probably pass in the next year or so with maybe minor adjustments. The CRTC, uh, it was hoped in this decision, was going to be striking out on a new direction, recognizing these facts, that a reliance on regional competitors isn't necessarily something that's going to get us to where we need to be. And so they were examining the possibility of applying the tried and true method that they use for the same companies operating on home internet service, which is to allow wholesale access for companies like Tech Savvy, Ebox, Media, to come in and to compete on price based on the cost of providing service and not based on the desire to provide dividends to shareholders based on monopoly rents. Essentially, the issue here, in a nutshell, is whether the CRTC was going to bring more competition using service-based providers as opposed to requiring the construction of additional mobile networks across the country. Okay, so the, the question in terms of that form of injecting new new forms of competition, and what did the CRTC conclude? We've already talked about their their recognition of the problems we face from a competition perspective. Uh, did they embrace the MVNO approach, Ben? Uh, no, I mean, unfortunately, like I said, I think there was high, pretty high hopes. The commission in its notice of consultation where they announced this hearing had expressed a preliminary view that this was something they'd be interested in. And in fact, the way that it, uh, the decision was presented to the media suggested that the CRTC was in fact uh, going to be going forward with uh, an MVNO approach. MVNO standing for Mobile Virtual Network Operator, which essentially means a company that rents access to the mobile network and then sells direct to the customer configuring their own product and pricing according to their own um, views of the market and ability to attract customers. Unfortunately, what the CRTC actually did in fact was slightly expand what's available to companies who have their own networks already. So essentially they've taken the V out of MVNO and have created what I'm calling an MVNO policy. A company who buys Spectrum or who has Spectrum can gain access to sell to customers in places before they've built the network. Unfortunately, there's three things that, uh, you know, the CRTC hopes that someone like this will emerge. Uh, you know, we saw with Bell MTS, and I think we're seeing probably with Sean Rogers that the government's approach tends to be in these cases to take actually existing competition we have when it starts to, to, to wane and to replace it with the hope for imaginary new competition. There are three reasons why I don't think that the CRTC's approach is going to be workable in this case. First, they're requiring spectrum licenses, which only become available 
on a periodic basis, there are few eligible bidders to get these spectrum licenses, and the areas in which these licenses are available in this current upcoming auction are relatively small, limiting the pool of potential um, new companies that could emerge. Second, the CRTC is not, they've opted not to regulate the rates at which this access will be based, which is a big red flag. Because the reason we have regulated roaming and mobile in the first place, which has uh, enabled the expansion of companies like Freedom and Videotron, is that the regulator found in 2015 that commercial negotiation just doesn't work. A company that wants to come to the table with Bell, Rogers, or Telus to negotiate prices will quickly find that they're going to hit a brick wall. And if you're a small company trying to get started up, the idea that you might go to arbitration before you can start offering your business is a business killer. And third, the CRTC has strangely decided that seven years is long enough. They're only going to make this rule in, uh, apply for the following seven years, despite knowing that it takes decades to build a sustainable mobile network. These three factors adding up transform this from an MVNO decision into an MVNO decision, in my view. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that really runs counter, of course, to the way the CRTC tried to spin it, certainly with its release and, and some of the headlines uh, and coverage that we've seen that suggest that they're opening the door to MVNOs. I did a radio interview uh, just before we started this, where that, that was the, the initial thinking from the host was that this that things had been opened up. But you point out that when we combine or when the CRTC combines, making it only available to a limited number of, of players who have had to add Spectrum, coming with a decision, I, sh I should note, that comes after the deadline to try to get Spectrum, which is uh, itself rather odd for the next uh, auction. Um, Time-limited approaches and the like, what you're left with is, is, as I say, not going to, is very unlikely to achieve anything close to what people had envisioned. Uh, Dwayne, what was your take on the decision? Yeah, um, I agree with uh, Ben there. Uh, not surprisingly, since we work so close together. But, you know, Ben said something early on where I might have a little different view, which he, you know, he suggested that, you know, maybe the Roger Shaw deal is going to go through after it gets, uh, you know, gets uh, a few adjustments uh, here and there, a little tinkering around the edge. I'm not so sure about that. I'm actually a little more confident that the Competition Bureau uh, may have learned some lessons, you know, burned once, uh, you know, twice shy kind of thing. Uh, and so maybe it'll have the fortitude to turn it back. But I think you looking at what the Competition Bureau might do and speculating a bit, you know, yesterday's CRTC uh, decision actually for those who are opposed to the Roger Shaw deal might be a gift. All right. I mean, it is so bad and it is so unlikely to foster more affordable prices and sustainable competition that the idea of taking out one of the best existing options now looks um, just like a really, really bad idea. So basically, the CRTC's decision yesterday, just how bad it is, actually throws into very sharp relief what we're going to lose if the Competition Bureau greenlights uh, the Roger Shaw deal. So I've kind of, uh, you know, jokingly wondered if, you know, maybe uh, uh, um, uh, the chair of the CRTC is, you know, some master uh, chess player and playing some 3D chess here that we just don't understand. Uh, and in the long run, it's going to deliver us some goods. But uh, anyway, so, I, I, you know, I, I do think the decision, the seven year thing, uh, time uh, line is, is, you know, it's just totally unrealistic. Um, and each of the other things, so I won't uh, take up any more time. Ben, ben made the case very good. 
I just want to add that I, I sure hope Dwayne is right, because I think one of the key lessons that you uh, learn from studying this industry is that it's better to hang on to and foster the competition you've got than to pursue this, if you build it, they will come approach. You know, we've seen players enter the field only to be driven out by a tight and jealous guarding oligopoly. You know, yesterday on the national, Sam Bichet, who runs Ice Wireless in the territories and who's tried to expand into the southern parts of the country, saying that this decision is going to leave him with no option but to go south of the border. And uh, we also, uh, you know, have heard from Ryan Reynolds, the movie actor who owns a mobile company that operates in the States, Mint Mobile, um, you know, thinking that he'd be able to come to Canada on the basis of this decision. But I don't think people should hold their breath because last I checked, Mint Mobile doesn't own any Spectrum license. It's not eligible and it hasn't registered for the upcoming auction. So really, keeping Freedom Mobile operating as an independent competitor is, is you know, the, the best way forward for government. And I sure, I'll just repeat, I sure hope Dwayne is right that they don't allow it to be sold to Rogers. Okay, that's a that's a really useful uh, segue again onto onto that onto the Rogers Shaw merger. Last week's episode uh, included some of my comments on the on the merger from that appearance before the industry committee, uh, but I thought it would be useful to uh, come back and discuss further. You know, you've you've talked about the experience in other kind of merger situations and hoping that we've learned from them. Can you can you highlight what that experience uh, was? For example, most recently in in Manitoba. Sure, I'll take a, a quick uh, crack at that. Um, you know, I think there's at least two uh, lessons uh, there that hopefully uh, the Competition Bureau uh, will take to heart. Uh, the first is listen to your staff. You know, the staff provided uh, excellent uh, analysis and guidance uh, at that time, and the commissioners kind of broke rank with their staff. And I think now they have a bit of mud on their face. Uh, for doing so because they can see that everything that the staff report and others that had submitted uh, to the, the review process has actually come to pass. And that this idea that they could somehow gerrymander in some kind of new competitor to replace the real one that was being wiped out in this transaction has actually completely failed. I mean, we look at ExploreNet and, you know, when we're measuring uh, market shares and revenues of different companies across the country, we can't even find ExploreNet on the radar uh, screen when we do our analysis. I mean, it's just it's just not even up off the ground. So, you know, here's this idea, you know, you keep the, uh, the bird in hand versus this fictional uh, thing that you're going to create or gerrymander into existence. And so I think that applies to this case here. Shaw has covered, you know, has carved out some decent market share for itself in three of Canada's most populous provinces, uh, BC, Alberta, and Ontario, two of the country's biggest cities, Toronto uh, and Vancouver. And I think symbolically, you know, the, the idea that it's operating here in the national capital uh, region, Ottawa, uh, is important. And so, you know, basically it's it's got around 8% uh, market share by subscriber and uh, revenue level. And so why, you know, trade off this real competitor that actually has a good track record of plowing more money into its uh, network development, both on the wire, wireline side and the wireless side than uh, Rogers does over the last three to five years? You know, so why trade off all this good stuff and a proven track record 
for some promises and pledges uh, to bring a, a, a baggie of goodies uh, that I think you mentioned uh, last week, Michael. Um, you know, this doesn't make uh, make any any sense to me. Okay, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to assume you share some of the same views in terms of the this, the impact this merger is likely to have. Especially following the CRTC's decision yesterday, I think that uh, the Competition Bureau really can't approve this merger uh, and claim that it's in the interest of the country. You know, we heard uh, in the Bell MTS uh, merger in 2017 them taking off the boxes, very similar to how the CRTC has in this one. You know, regional competitors are what's bringing the price down. This is our best hope for making sure that we're meeting targets in terms of affordability and adoption of next generation technologies in the mobile market. Um, now that MVNO, I think, really has taken off the table, that places us even stronger uh, onus on the Competition Bureau to do what's right for consumers and to do what's right for competition by rejecting this merger. We've heard Kojiko um, may be uh, a, a viable candidate, and we've uh, heard uh, Pierre Carl Pelado, uh, you know, expressing an interest in taking over the operations of Freedom Mobile at the industry committee uh, last week. But I share Dwayne's uh, reservations about this idea that we should be so willing to trade real competition that we've already got for some imaginary hope that a future competitor will emerge. Okay, so so strong strong words, Ben. Thanks for that. That uh, highlights that. And this was a question I should note that that came up re- repeatedly at committee. This this question of well, you know, what if we put in conditions and what should those conditions be? And, and I hear both of you taking a strong stand saying, no, we shouldn't be having a discussion on conditions. We should be rejecting this merger altogether. Michael, can I just add that a lot of the discussion revolves around the impact on consumers. Something that uh, we heard a fair amount about in this Indu committee and something that Dwayne has been uh, talking about and studying recently is this idea of efficiencies. And also looking in competition law beyond the impact on consumers, I think it's also important to recognize here that mobile uh, services aren't something that just um, serve consumers at the retail level, but it's something that underpins commerce more broadly in the country. So the idea that we'd have a merger that potentially threatens to raise prices isn't something that just affects our pocketbooks at the end of the month. It's something that affects the bottom line of business right across the industry. Anytime a pizza delivery driver shows up at your house, uh, anytime you take an Uber, those companies have as an input mobile service. And if as a result of this merger, the price goes up for them, you can bet that that pizza is going to cost you a couple extra bucks and that that ride is going to get more expensive as well. Dwayne? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really important point. And I remember when I started to really focus in on this back in, you know, 2012, 13, 14, there was an OECD report out at the time that mentioned that Canadian businesses were already suffering greatly, especially within uh, an international context, because the cost of uh, uh, doing business internationally, communication costs, uh, were extraordinarily high in this country, and it was handicapping uh, small, medium-sized, and large businesses across the country, and things like um, the roaming uh, fees outside uh, the country uh, are, you know, they're close to extortionate at uh, $10 to $15 a day. And so if you're a business person and you're traveling to India, China, the United States, the European Union, and you're having to pay another 10 to $15 a day um, to use your mobile uh, wireless service, this is another additional cost that handicaps Canadian businesses. 
so I think it's an important point. You know, if we have some time, I'd also like to go back to one thing here and say that, you know, this deal isn't just about mobile wireless. I mean, this is the crown jewel, so to speak, um, that I think Rogers is after. But as I've been trying to really make clear and why I don't think the, the, the Pelado proposition will actually work is that this affects uh, the national internet access as well as the cable uh, market as well. And so if, you know, Pelado is, is happy to take over and, you know, kind of bolt onto the side of Videotron uh, Freedom Mobile, that might be okay on the mobile wireless side, but that isn't going to do one whit uh, to help us out on the internet access side or the cable uh, distribution side. And especially for television and film producers, they're going to see the number of doors that they get to knock on uh, drop from three to two in the English language uh, markets of this country if this deal goes through. And Videotron is certainly not going to be building out a new cable network in these uh, areas. So I think we need to you know, expand the discussion to consider this. And we need to realize that Shaw has done some progressive things uh, on the internet access front that even though it didn't compete directly or head to head uh, in any regions with uh, Rogers, the fact of the matter is Shaw didn't um, impose uh, uh, data caps on its internet uh, subscribers, whereas most of the other big ISPs across the country, including Rogers, did. And so, you know, basically in terms of best practices, Shaw stood out. When we look at the cable side on the retail side, you know, what uh, people uh, sign up for when they get a cable subscription, Shaw was adopting new uh, cable technology and set-top boxes half a decade earlier than what Rogers was doing here in Ontario. And you know what that happened, or what happened as a result of that was basically uh, Shaw had a much better network and this forced TELUS to respond in kind and to start to plow investment into fiber to the, to the neighborhood and fire, fiber to the doorstep a half a decade earlier than Bell did in Ontario or Quebec, where it faced more laggardly uh, competitors in Rogers and Videotron. So we're going to lose all of that. And I think this is a really big problem um, that needs to be given more attention. Hey, I mean, I think that broader context is, is important. I'm glad you raised it. Uh, we're talking today about wireless, but uh, specifically in the context of the merger, the implications spread far beyond to other aspects of our communications and our DDR broadcast system. Why don't we close with this? Uh, obviously, views are on, you've put both managed to cogently put your views on the record, both on the CRTC decision as well as the the Rogers merger. What what should we be doing? So we we know that we're that both of you disagree with what we're what we've seen take place both with the possibility of new mergers as well as the CRTC's decision on MVNOs uh, if you were minister for the day or CRTC chair for the day what would you be doing right now um, Dwayne why don't you get us started sure um, well the first thing I would do is uh, you know spike the Rogers uh, Shaw deal I'd be you know if I was uh, Minister Champagne uh, I'd be sending out signals um, that this deal is just a non-starter. So, you know, save your lawyer fees uh, and your banker fees and, you know, get on to doing what you need to do, which is compete, which is exactly what the U.S. did um, when they spiked the uh, proposed deal between AT&T and T-Mobile in 2011. 
and T-Mobile got the message. And what did it do? Well, it started to compete more aggressively, bigger data allowances, more affordable pricing plans, roam like home in 100 countries. So they basically, you know, they switched tracks. They got off the lazy build it and sell it track and they became a real viable competitor and they doubled their market share in a decade. So that would be my number one message. And then I would say, you know, I'd go back to the MVNO and I'd uh, review and vary that to uh, basically get rid of the timeline, the seven-year timeline, and I'd expand it to include real MVNOs, not just uh, these facilities-based, whatever they are, because they're not even MVNOs. Ben, you have any further ideas about what we ought to be doing? Yeah, you know, I think a question that we all need to be asking ourselves is what do we want these policies to be achieving and are they achieving those things? In the case of competition in the mobile space, I think the Competition Bureau uh, and its record of allowing mergers with remedies that it itself doesn't assess should be thinking to itself, is this going to be enough? Did it work last time and will it work this time? If they think hard about it enough, I think the answer will be no. And on that basis, they should be looking at ways of rejecting this merger, of fulfilling their mandate. And if they can't, I think we need to be thinking about what it is that the Competition Bureau is good for at all. Similarly with the CRTC, I listened to the chairman of the CRTC explain correctly to the industry committee last week that they have no role when it comes to telecom mergers aside from ensuring that the parties are Canadian owned. Yet the CRTC has a statutory mandate to ensure that the markets for communications in Canada are not only providing affordable, reliable, and high quality services to Canadians across the country, but that they're doing it on the basis of competition. I think that's a real problem when the CRTC says we have no role here in a giant deal, one of the largest in Canada's history, let alone in the communications industry. When the CRTC says it has no role in the structure of a market that everyone knows is gonna reduce competition, we have to be asking, are we achieving our goals? Are the rules we've got achieving our goals? And if they aren't, how do we strengthen them to ensure that they do? Ben, Dwayne, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Michael. Longtime listener, first time caller, and it's been a pleasure. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.